0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Inside the Law. I am your host, Lily, and today I am joined by my guest, John Marcoux, a Cornell Law School graduate who shares the extraordinary trajectory of his career, from navigating the complexities of intellectual property law to establishing a thriving yoga studio in Chicago, and finally, evolving into an entertainment lawyer. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Inside the Law. And today I'm joined by John Marcoux, who is a former... Intellectual property attorney and today will be telling us a little bit about that as well as his current job. So welcome John. How are you?
1: Okay, Lily. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course. Um, so just to begin, what first drew you to becoming a lawyer?
1: I I think it was Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, really? That's funny
0: um was, and
1: he was both he was, he was so dashing in the courtroom and he was standing up for real justice mm-hmm. i remember feeling i just the hair on my neck standing up in a good way mm-hmm. when i saw him when i was a kid
0: yeah it's a great book and where'd you go to law school
1: cornell law school
0: great and what was law school like for you was it was was it like you had expected before was it hard was it was it challenging any challenges you faced
1: No, I loved it. It was the best three years of my life. I had so much fun. I didn't expect that at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had worked so hard to, you know, keep the grades up, keep everything cooking, you know, success, Mm -hmm. academic and whatnot. And I showed up and everybody was so serious and so stressed out and so unhappy and so intense right out of the gate. I felt like I stepped into a cartoon. Like normally that would have been contagious and I would have got caught up in it all, like I have to study, I have to study. But I just thought it was so funny that I I mean, I immediately day one said, This is not for me. I'm gonna go to law school, but I'm not gonna do it like everybody else does. And I just had a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. That's great. And how is law school different from college? Were there can you think of any challenges that were like that you were immediately oh like maybe I shouldn't have come to law school or, or anything that was extremely different from college in the first place?
1: Um, well, I was a late bloomer. So even though I showed up at college at 18, I, I was I was a little young for my age in some ways. So college <clears throat> and, and, and succeeding and blooming in college took a lot more effort. But when I showed up to law school, I thought, ah, oh, I made it. I, I'm, I'm going to be okay. So there was just a, I just thought law school was so much more fun and freeing than, than college, which you probably won't hear a lot of lawyers yeah.
0: say. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think that I've heard that before. And did you use any of these lessons from law school in your daily, in your daily life as a lawyer when you're practicing?
1: Um, yes and no. There's a huge difference between studying law and practicing law. The practice of law, like a lot of business, is harsh you know, unremitting competition for limited resources and it's, it's exhausting and the world is kind of mean. And, you know, three years on a, uh, idyllic campus going from there and thinking about law to actually practicing law was kind of brutal. Uh, I was, I didn't have, um, I wasn't deluded, but still just the reality of putting on a suit and showing up and and getting at it and having adversarial thoughts all day, every day from the time I I put my head on the pillow, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so that was a bit of a shock coming from my really fun three years into that. Mm -hmm. But the question of what did I learn? um, I, you know, I learned that I had a, a native capacity for it. I didn't have to work that hard in law school. I picked up on things pretty quickly. And then um, to actually practice law and become a good lawyer, you gotta grind out an apprenticeship for a few years. I don't care how smart you are. So there was, a, it was, a, there was an adjustment period there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And what jobs have you held since graduating or since you graduated law
1: school in the field of law? Well, I worked at one law firm for three years with your dad. And then I worked at a second law firm for three years. And then I became an entrepreneur and started businesses, but I never really left the law. I've always been practicing law in one shape or another. It's just not in a firm all day long with a suit and tie, Mm -hmm. you know, going at it for for large clients. Mm
0: -hmm. And could you explain to the viewers or also to me um, what being an intellectual property attorney was like?
1: Okay, there's three types of main intellectual property. They all have to do with creation. Patents are, you know, creating inventions, all the things in your cell phones. Um, Trademarks, it's creating a brand, uh, a sign or a label uh, like McDonald's or Apple that says, hey, I'm selling products or services. And a copyright is creation of expression, music, music books, poetry, movies, songs, and uh, I practiced all three. Mm. Um, and, and it's it's evolved. I was a computer science major undergrad. So when I came out of law school in the mid-90s, the internet was I mean, literally just happening. There was no social media. There was no Amazon. Google was still two or three years away. But there was a great need in the technical space for lawyers. Mm-hmm. So I entered the law firms thinking I was going to play interpreter between the judges and the lawyers who didn't have my training and the geeks and the nerds working on the patents and the, the computer side. I, I did some um, satellite telephone systems is what I did before law school. Interesting. But, um, but the way the business worked and the way I landed at firms, I ended up doing trademark law, um, learning how to prosecute and uh, get trademarks, and once you own the trademarks, sending letters out to other people saying, hey, you can't use this brand, we own this brand, and sometimes that's an exchange of letters, sometimes those are phone calls, sometimes you gotta go to court and fight it out for a while. Um, then I, for a while, uh, I did jump into some patent work, which is not for amateurs. That's the most insane type of intellectual property firm, property uh, firm intellectual property practice, you have to get in there and learn. There are so many rules and tricks. It's almost like learning another language. Hmm. And I worked in the area of smart batteries, which was a huge issue in the 90s and the early 2000s. Camcorders and cell phones and all kinds of things that needed uh, to be unplugged and wireless were coming out. And uh, there was a race to the riches, all the tech companies were figuring figuring out how to make a better and better uh, battery. So that's what I, I learned on that. But then, uh, especially for the past seven or eight years, I've done almost exclusively copyright law, representing uh, musicians and uh, movie makers, mm-hmm. and, and their fights over their uh, scripts, and lyrics and uh, melodies.
0: Oh, got it. So I, Interesting.
1: Yeah, I've had I've had the whole tour. I've done the whole tour.
0: Nice. And do you think that your um, undergrad um, major, do you think that that kind of helped you like figure out that you wanted to specialize in intellectual property law, or do you think that there was something else that kind of motivated you mo- motivated you to pick that field?
1: Well, definitely the computer science background helped. In the patent law, traditionally, it had to be a hard science: chemistry, physics, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering computer science was considered uh, in the gray zone I actually uh, when I was applying to get my patent bar, which is separate bar uh, it's a federal bar where most bars the exams you take are state specific new york bar Connecticut bar um, uh, I forgot what I was I was saying actually there the the patent bar oh. I had a computer science major, and it was a great advantage in the marketplace. So I thought, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I muscle that? It's like having—I mean, I, I had an advantage over people who had better grades at better schools at better jobs. Who said, "Whoa, this guy has a computer science major." So I just thought, why wouldn't I naturally exploit that? Um, I, I wasn't, you know, dying to be this lawyer or that lawyer. I did have a little bit of trial and error. I did a summer at a district attorney's office. And realized, oh, I don't want to do criminal law. Hmm. And then I did some regular commercial law, um, helping out a local lawyer where I lived in Long Island. And realized, oh, I don't, I don't want to do this. And then I, you know, I kind of had to tumble my way in. But when I found out I had the advantage, I took the advantage.
0: Yeah, definitely, it's smart to do it that way. And do you have any like tips or remedies for how to approach negotiations or settlements in intellectual property disputes that, that you remember from when you were working like that?
1: Well, you should know yourself first. If, if you're a person who's very optimistic and nice and gets along with everybody, you're, you're going to get a pie in the face when you show up to real practice of law because things don't happen like that. You, your dad, by the way, is one of the best I know at this kind of thing. And we learned from the same guy who is very wise. And when I was first starting out in law, he taught me, you know, most law, when you go to law school, everything's in the gray zone. There's no right answer. It could be this or it could be that. But when you get out in the real world, it usually is really obvious who's right and who's wrong. But the wrong people don't admit they're wrong. They just fold their arms for years. just mm-hmm. <laughs> like they shrug their shoulders. So what your dad and I learned early on was there is a psychological sequence that needs to happen. You write the letter saying, hey, you're wrong. They write back, I don't know what you're talking about. You wish that every dispute ended like that, but almost none of them did. So then the the letters have to keep going. The phone calls have to keep going. And there's a psychological attrition, a wearing down that needs to happen. The process needs to unfold. And if you're impatient for that kind of stuff, you need to learn it. And so when it comes to settling, you know what the right answer is. But then you have to set the dial for patience and just use all the tricks of the trade to, to ride it out until you get to the favorable reason.
0: Mm-hmm. And this is sort of a similar question, but how do you see the future of the field of evolving in this, in this practice of law? And do you have any skills that you think maybe you learned or just in general that could be crucial for success in this field in the coming years?
1: I think it's the coolest, most evolving area of law that exists. Even if you look today at the listings online of where the jobs are, intellectual property is always the most frequent. Each of the three areas of intellectual property law have interesting, really interesting things happening right now. In uh, patent law, I, I would say the number one problem on earth has to do with smart batteries still. 20, 25 years after I started learning how to do this stuff. The battery technology hasn't really changed in 150 years. It's a metal immersed in a liquid. And everything since then has been to make that better and better and better. But uh, for the past 25 years, the holy grail has been solid state batteries where there are no liquids involved. And they're, I mean, the patents were being written 20 years ago, but it's such a difficult problem to solve on the material science part, the practical part. I mean, you're talking about factories that have to get the metal down to within a millionth of a millimeter correct and then run sheets of them that are miles long and then cut those up and make all the pattern. So, But when that happens, woo, everything's going to change. Cars and airplanes are going to be able to, to ride it. So the patent world is a huge area, lots of fighting going on. The biggest companies in the world spending incredible amounts of money duking it out. Copyright law is probably the area subject to the most change because the copyright law was written in 1976 before there was digital media, before there was streaming, before there was the internet. And everybody who thinks about it, and writes about it, says the same thing. We, we have a 19th century law and then we have 21st century problems. Mm-hmm. And in the musical space, especially how artificial intelligence is soaking up all these songs and spitting out new songs. Typically, The law would say, hey, you've infringed. You've used my copyright. Can you hear this part of the song? Can you hear these lyrics over here? But those areas are becoming increasingly gray, and the law is way behind. And then trademark law is trademark law. You come up with a brand, you you hang a sign outside, or you put it on the handbag, and that becomes your brand. That fight, the only area really changing in there is that it's become less – the, the government has acted like a watchdog making all the movies PG or G. But now you can get uh, trademarks that are actually curse words, according to the Supreme Court last year. That never happened.
0: Before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. And um, could you now just to kind of shift a little bit? Could you maybe explain a little bit how um, the business that you've started and what drew you to leave the law field a little bit? Or I, I guess, as you said before, how you never really left the law field. But could you just explain that a little bit.
1: Well, I, I left the, the uh, formal field of working in a skyscraper for law firms at a big firm. Um, but it's funny. When you start a small business, and I mean any small business, having a knowledge of the law is huge. Yeah. I was so stressed out. I cannot even tell you how stressed out I was by my 60 year of law. <laughs> and so somebody suggested I take a, a yoga class, and I tumbled into a hot yoga studio That was humbling. I mean, I thought I was a decent athlete and I could almost do nothing in there. And I thought, oh, I'm never coming back. And then when I got outside and cooled off, I realized, oh, this is the least stressed I've been since I was in law school. I should come back. I should come back here and try and untie these knots. And I don't even have to be good. I don't even have to touch my toes. I just got to keep doing this and clear out whatever that is. And within three weeks, I lost 20 pounds. My spine shot up. And the scales fell from my eyes. I I showed up at my law firm and said, oh, my God, everybody's miserable. I'm still a young man. What am I doing? I'm going to die young and miserable. So I I started drafting my first business plan, not even for the banks or the businessmen who would look at it, but for my mom. I I wanted to be able to write something that made sense that once my mom read it, she wouldn't you know start crying that her son the lawyer was disappearing to become a hippie you know like that's the last thing i wanted and um once i got into the law uh, once once the business plan was up and running and i realized oh there's a great demand for this i can actually make a good living on this i'm gonna go do this i took off it's
0: mm,
1: great it takes guts
0: <laughs> yeah and do you think that um, being in like a small business, in, in a small business field, like, do, do you feel like your skills as, as a lawyer were ever utilized? hundred um, percent. So what kind of skills were, what would you, do would
1: you take? Well, first of all, the, the source of the business was intellectual property based. Mm-hmm. It had both the trademark of the name of the famous uh, yoga that I was teaching, but it also had a sequence of original poses, just like a song has a sequence of original notes combined together. And there was a copyright involved there, and they were both very valuable, and the cost of using them and making a business of them were, were almost zero. So I thought, wow, I've never seen a license for no money before. I think I, that that's a, that was an appealing part. And then once I got into the business, it has all the problems of any business, small, medium, or large. And I realized, talking with hundreds of other yoga studios around the world. Those owners who didn't have legal degrees were spinning their wheels, worrying about things that they shouldn't have worried about at all, and were totally ignoring the real threats, legal threats, to their business, which I had a general cognizance of, and I could share it with them and navigate my own business. So that part of the law was invaluable to getting through those, especially those first few years.
0: Yeah, definitely. And do you miss practicing law ever, and do you ever think about returning to it fully, or maybe are you now?
1: well no i'm i'm probably uh i would I would assess my practice of law to be about twenty five percent about a week a month of hours I put in mm-hmm. and uh, my skill back then and now, especially now with yoga there's something about the practice of law that just kills creativity you're so stressed out, and when the time comes to write that letter or write that memo or make that argument is more dominant, not the, ah, and the silver tongued stuff that can really make a difference. Sometimes one sentence can totally crush the other side and hook up your client. So I work for an entertainment law firm. Hmm. And when they have very difficult documents to draft or problems to think through or um, uh, legal briefs that are going to be filed and the entertainment press, the paparazzi is going to immediately look at that online and read it. I'm in charge of making those documents read really well. And my my real skill is in summarizing the dispute into one sentence that can make a headline. Mm. I, I often write something that's later quoted in the Hollywood Reporter or, or the New York Post. And if you can get it down to one line, um, you. I mean, judges are tired, their clerks are tired, everybody's are tired. They don't want to think through Long documents going, what are they saying? It's like it's like a you know, a sophomore high schooler trying to write a 10 page paper. You're like, all right, get to the point. If you can shrink it down to one line, you can make the judge immediately see your side, make your client so happy that you got the other side with a zinger, and demoralize your opponent so they don't want to fight anymore and they're more likely to settle. So I fit into the I'm a ghostwriter. I would say I'm a ghostwriter for legal briefs in the entertainment field. Nice. And it's a weird, it's a weird niche. You can't, you can't (laughs) apply for it. You kind of have to like tumble into that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And what do you think that your next adventure is going to be doing that? It's going to have to do something with entertainment law or do you think it's going to involve law in general or do you think that you're going to stand the field you are now?
1: Right. Well, I'm open to the mystery. I'm a yogi, but I have been preparing um, presentations for law firms before COVID hit I spent a few years, um, so every lawyer has to do 12 hours of CLE a year, continuing legal education. Mm-hmm. And that's usually like, hey, these are the updates to the tax code. Everybody here working in the tax industry, let's spend the hour and go through these things. <clears throat> so your <clears throat> legal competences up here. But now, because so many lawyers are suffering so much, three of the 12 hours per year have to be in the area of mental wellness and and fitness and so uh i've taken that opportunity to uh address law firms about what it's like to be demoralized the sheer practice of law the chronic adversarial cognition thinking 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 fighting 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 all day it's not up there with the warriors who come back with ptsd but it's a lot like it and over the years, it wears people down. And there's a lot of drinking problems, drug problems, miseries that are somewhat avoidable. And so uh, for the years right before and up through COVID, I was uh, teaching three cognitive traps that lawyers are likely to fall into and how to get out of those traps and how to avoid those traps. Mm-hmm. Now I'm adapting the same material and I'm uh, going to start give to give these presentations about a, an almost a superhero who lived 100 years ago. He was a famous judge on the Supreme Court. And in his private letters, all the things that he was disclosing to the intelligentsia of the world, uh, he was doing all the right things that psychologists now say you should do. So he he's a paragon of adversarial thinking. He was able to keep up his spirit and energy and health right into his 90s. Uh, had 50 years career kicking ass on the bench. Um, and it wasn't by accident. It wasn't genetics. He he was mindful of the things one should be mindful of. So I want to use him as a superhero story to convey these skills to lawyers.
0: That's great. And just looking back, do you think that do you think that um having intellectual property law as like a foundation was very beneficial in starting a business? Or do you think that like like, are, are you happy that you went that route or do you think that having like entertainment law would, could have been better? Um, or do you think that there's another area of law that if you could go back, would have interested you more just to to practice?
1: Well, entertainment law is kind of a subset of intellectual property law because all the properties in entertainment are in intellectual property. There's just a lot more deal making and contracts. Uh, and it's, it's, it's faster paced than, sitting down and fighting over a patent and a phone for 17 years in federal court you know, and it's also a little more exciting you know i get a little pop when i realize oh i'm working for this you know band like pink floyd that's amazing yeah. it just makes the days a little bit cooler knowing that these are the people you're arguing on behalf of um, um. I'm so glad I picked IP. I'm sure there might be other areas of law that would interest me. I mean, I really didn't use my computer science knowledge that much in all of my IP things. It just got my foot in the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but but um, no, I I'm, I can't think of another area of law. I know other areas of law I definitely would not want to be a part of, like family law. Oh yeah. You always have husbands and wives and children, and they're fighting, and there's just it's just so bitter. You have to have a certain uh, coat, like uh, armor, to deal with that. And I, I, I helped a few people out back in the day, and I'm just, I don't ever want to touch that stuff again.
0: Yeah, trial and error. And just this is this is my last question. Um, do you have any advice for someone, or like a young person watching this, someone who's aspiring to go into law or into maybe the same field as you, um, or something that you wish that you knew if
1: you were like my age? it it's everything's so exciting and so fast when you're going from high school to college, college to graduate school, graduate school to work, and all of a sudden at some point it hits you, oh, this is a long life this is I've chosen something, and I might have this career for fifty years, you know it's a long life, and you want to set up the foundation right you want to be healthy mm-hmm. I mean, forget it if you don't have the physical energy to show up to work, if you're sick all the time and so there's a there's a balance thing that needs to happen. And the more ambitious you are to achieve in life professionally, you should be equally ambitious to take care of your body and mind too. Hmm. And I think that's where most people that's where, where most people I've encountered in the the legal world um are a little off balance. Hmm. And, it's, and it's difficult. You can say, "Ah, I'm going to miss it today. I'll go I'll go to the gym tomorrow and stuff, but I think you got to do something every day. Mm-hmm. That the, the idea that your mind is just, is separate from your body is a fatal error. Mm-hmm. You have to keep the body going if you want the mind going. You have to keep the mind going if you want the body going. They draw off the same account. Mm. That's
0: some great advice. And,
1: yeah. And at your age, you're you're beaming with energy. You have enough energy for three people, but over the course of life, uh, you got to economize. You got to know where you're where you're drawing your power off. of.
0: Mm-hmm. All about having the balance. Yeah. Great.
1: Uh-huh.